to Watch Party... Watch Party? What are we calling this thing? The big watch party craptacular. Anyway, it's every watch party coming together for one fun episode. I'm your host, Ruark, joined by my panel of newbies from Watch Party Wheel of Time. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. panel. Also joined by the cast of uh, Watch Party of Ice and Fire, the Watch Party Network's newest show. Say hello, Ice and Fire. Hello, hello Ice, Ice and Fire. fire. And joining us from the mothership, that's right, the original Watch Party podcast, Lord of the Rings, it's Jen. Say hello, Jen. Hello, and thanks so much for having me. This is so fun to see everybody and get the whole gang together. Once we got uh, the the third Watch Party podcast out there, you and Michael did a lot of work to get that going. I thought, let's get everybody together and introduce everybody to everybody else. So here we are. Jen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to us and uh, let us know kind of how Lord of the Rings got started and and how you you and Michael ended up putting together the Watch Party Network. Sure. Well, it was December of 2021, and I was still sort of in lockdown mode here. And I was rewatching Game of Thrones with my partner. And out of the blue, I get a call from Michael Rowland. And Michael and I actually go way back. So we've known each other through the bluegrass and folk Americana music scene in Arizona for years. I mean, since we were basically teenagers. Um, And he's also my sister's brother-in-law confusing but so we've known each other for quite a long time but he calls me and says have you heard about the new prime series coming out about lord of the rings and i said yes of course i've heard about it i'm pretty darn excited about it and um he said well i am also excited about it would you like to start a podcast (laughs) um in anticipation of that show I was absolutely like immediately favorable to that idea. So it it really just took off from there. We started talking about Lord of the Rings meeting basically weekly um, and just reading all the news and leaks that came out um, about the Rings of Power show. And it's been, geez, it's been almost a year and a half now that we've been doing this, but it just grew and grew. And then we thought, hey, we we love these other fantasy series. We love Game of Thrones. We love time. I'm sure there's people out there interested in doing what we're doing and why not, you know, get everybody together and and start something Um, because it's such a good time to be a fantasy fan. There's all these new series coming out, um, television adaptations of these spectacular series. And so for that reason, we thought, what a great idea to have podcasts that dissect the episodes as they come out. And um, that's, yeah, so that's the origin story. And then we've found and recruited all you fabulous people and built something here. So yeah, it's, we're really excited for our show to premiere, very excited for House of the Dragon to premiere. And obviously Wheel of Time, I watched it. I have not read the books, but I really loved the series and I've loved listening to your podcast, Rourke. So it's been, it's been a true watch party. So Jen, maybe tell us a little bit about how uh, a watch party of ice and fire came together. That's the newest podcast that we've got getting out there, and uh, it's a lot of fun so far. So tell us how you came across all these wonderful people. We were looking for folks who would be interested in starting uh, a House of the Dragon podcast because we knew we would not have time to do so. But we're both such major Game of Thrones fans, like read all the books and stuff like that. So we really, really wanted to find and recruit people who would be into that 
Um, and and she reached out to to us, uh, me at at uh, Watch Party Wheel of Time, just to see if I could reach out to anybody to find someone. And uh, well, through DW, we found a whole lot of other people to join that that uh, cast. DW, why don't you tell us about uh, your friends? Introduce us to them. Well, it, that was the kind of funny thing is I didn't know who specifically knew anything, and in all honesty, from conversations with all three of the ones we have on today, they're the three that I knew. And none of them were people that I was like, oh, yeah, they're Game of Thrones fanatics. Oh, yeah, no, no, they're total. So I just put like a really? post like, hey, does anybody really know stuff about? And the three of them messaged me with stuff like, oh, yeah, I've written a whole LARP that ran for this long. Or, oh, yeah, no, I've designed a comic based on this. Or, oh, what do you want to know about the Targaryens or the house before them? Or the... I'm like, oh, OK, OK, guys, I'm not the one you have to impress. I will hand over your info. And you call yourself a friend. <laughs> a friend who got all of you guys involved. <laughs> True. Speaking of friends, that's uh, your friend and mine, Solar Gray, one of the yep. Ice and Fire podcast folks. Solar, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, hello. I'm Solar Gray, the cinematic sorcerer. And yeah, I ended up getting, um, I, I was on Facebook for like one of maybe three days of the month that I'm on Facebook. And I see DW reach out saying, do I know anyone about uh, who knows anything about Ice and Fire? And I'm like, really? Really? We talk <laughs> once a week. Yeah, but not about like, Game seriously. of Thrones. Yeah, it's true. It, it's true. We don't talk. Well, there's we so many talk things. About, so Solar has another podcast back in the deck. And part of that is we talk about a lot of pop culture and stuff like that. And so we've talked about a lot of the stuff that's going on currently and Game of Thrones was never something we touched on before. That's and true. the new series has not come out yet, so it wouldn't be something we'd be covering yet on that. But we've covered everything from Moon Knight to uh, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff, a lot of... Yeah, and you are a busy man, so you didn't have time to be on the show during the run of Game of Thrones. And I wasn't really covering it back then. Yep. Um, but yeah, so he reached out and I'm, and I was that guy that's like, so what do you want to know about the history of the Targaryens, the, um, the magic system, the blah, 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 and all that other stuff. Um, and he was like, okay, all right, send an email to Michael. And I'm like, I hate sending emails. Can't I just talk to him on the phone? I'm old. I like voices and print. I can't find context. Um, and sure enough, he hooked me up with this group. And yeah, seriously speaking, like he hooked us um, when I met Uzma. Um, I was just blown away. Like I thought I knew the lore, but <laughs> bruh, I'm like, do, do you get paid for spending 16 hours a day in these pages or what? <laughs> and of course, you know, um, Morgan being the serious historian. Um, she's amazing. And then Constance's knowledge of all of the, all of the costuming and the, um, the techniques and, and this is the thing that just blew me away the most, the social messaging that, um, the wardrobes give off. And she's just like, it's hard for me to talk on the podcast because I'm so busy listening going, really? I didn't know that. All right. Notes, <laughs> notes, notes. Notes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I studied a little bit of, of <laughs> Renaissance history, but yeah, no, 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 that that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So yeah, and um, yeah, we started this podcast and it has been a 
blast getting to know everybody and getting in our groove and I've been listening to the uh, first three episodes that you guys put out, and and they're a lot of fun. You guys obviously have a good rapport right off the bat and and really fun to listen to. And speaking of that person that blew your mind, Constance, uh, Constance, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, My name is Constance. My pronouns are she, her. And um, I've grown up in the world of fantasy and science fiction. Uh, My primary love is Star Wars. Uh, because I remember seeing, that's the first movie I could ever remember seeing was Return of the Jedi. I, I, I can actually tell you that my earliest memory I have uh, in this world is seeing uh, the Hoth scene in Empire Strikes Back uh, from the balcony of one of those grand old movie theaters. Ooh, that's a beautiful memory. Yeah. I don't know if that actually is genuinely my first memory, but, you know, I would claim it as such because it's a lot better story. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when it comes to costumes and uh, art history, that's that's something that's always been fascinating to me is just the details that go into something like House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones. And if you've ever read George R. R. Martin's writings, he himself is very detailed when it comes to things like costuming and social history and food, uh, especially food. <laughs> painfully um, detailed, one might say. <laughs> very painfully detailed. So I, I like the details. That's what I like. <laughs> I, I love the details. And that's part of what drew me to A Song of Ice and Fire is how detailed the world it is, how rich the mythology is. Um, d- spicy take, it's on par with Tolkien's. All right. That, that is a spicy take. Yeah, I don't recall Tolkien spending like 11 pages discussing the plumbing in Minas Tirith. You know, that, that's all I'm just... That was actually a plot point, okay? The plumbing, the plumbing was relevant to the story. You know, this is actually a common joke that we have on the Wheel of Time podcast as well, because Robert Jordan is also very well known for his long, long, long descriptions of things. Uh, 18 yeah. pages on the cut of the curtains. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that's 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 what my my primary focus is for uh, House Watch, you know, House Party of the Dragon, and I'm really happy to work with Morgan and Solar. I've actually known Morgan her whole life, <laughs> and I think D Dub has too, um, if not close. But close, yeah, yeah. Do I have stories about D W? Uh, no, you don't. Oh. Have any about me. Uh, the check is in the mail, Morgan. The check is in the mail. Morgan, why don't you go ahead and take this opportunity to introduce yourself and tell us any stories about DW? Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, because I, I can't taunt uh, the audience, I can taunt DW, but I can't taunt the audience, so I have to tell something. And it's the one he hates the most, I think. Um, <laughs> Is this the one with with uh, the mayonnaise jar and the goat? No, 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 no. Only you know that one. Oh, oh, Only right. You know that one. Okay, okay. Yeah, that one. Well, not okay. The there audience. are three stories of mayonnaise and goats, and each of you know different ones. So oh, please don't share notes. <laughs> I think it's the one with the brothel, the donkey, and the honeycomb. No, I was with him on that one. That one definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but first, let me introduce myself. Hi, everybody. I'm Morrigan. Uh, uh, she, her. Uh, and I am a huge Game of Thrones fan and World of Ice and Fire fan to the extent that I actually named my daughter Valyria. Um, so that's a yeah, I'm I'm that that level of nerd, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I I am the one who was talking to Dan a while ago about 
running games in the in the Game of Thrones universe. I ran alternate timelines because I'm that kind of history nerd, except using Game of Thrones history instead of real history. Uh, yeah, uh, it went interesting. I did it multiple times with the exact same different point in time. So it was very fun. Uh, anyways, so where the, my first memory of Dan, <laughs> I was a child at the Renaissance Fair. I grew up at the Renaissance Fair, and he was playing Shakespeare. He uh, was doing some sort of a show on main stage, and he needed to do some sword work for the show. And I am a very, very, very avid swords person. And I had a collection even then of wooden swords. These are these are like master crafted wooden yeah. swords. Beautiful pieces. Uh, I, I don't know that they're hand carved. They probably were lathed, but just gorgeous pieces of, of uh, right. Structure. So I had one that was a, a bell hilt rapier, which the manufacturer is only made for a very limited time, Dan. I let him borrow it for the performance, or it, I think it was only just the rehearsal. It was, no, it was just the rehearsals. We weren't even <laughs> using it for the performance. It was for the rehearsals. So I had to be disarmed in it. And so it wasn't even from like mistaken or, or miscarry of the item. I get disarmed during the sword fight with the, I think it was the um, head of the uh, Fool's Guild was fighting me and disarmed me. The sword falls to the ground and the bell hilt splits in two. And yes, I do know that that was a limited edition, but your mom has also told me that the sword maker himself said that part of the reason they made it limited edition was because it kept breaking Don't in that exact Don't use <laughs> logic. Oh, no. <laughs> I am blaming you because I can, not because you deserve it, Okay. Look, DW, this has everything to do with grudges and nothing to do with logic. So oh, you're just, you're, well, you're losing. Part, That's all there is to part, it. And part of the reason that Morgan and I have the friendship that we have is the, the hate was never really shed at DW. It was yeah. at Shakespeare. <laughs> this is Shakespeare's fault and Shakespeare must die. <laughs> so walking around having this child at the Renaissance Fair, every time you walk past, look at you with death daggers coming out of their eyes and and wanting to draw their sword and stab you at that moment was a really interesting way to get through a day at the Renaissance. Yeah, yeah I, I can see you walking past a five-year-old and the five-year-old just like pointing at their eyes, pointing at your eyes, pointing at their eyes, pointing at your eyes. And she did exactly that a few times. Yes, I was, I was vengeful. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to carry it to the other story that it leads to because it did lead to a beautiful moment at the Renaissance Fair of there was a day I had to leave early and we had um, somebody was in the storyline for the show. Somebody was actually called for the head of Shakespeare. Like they were, they wanted him killed. It was the sheriff of the town. I had uh, embarrassed him and he wanted me dead. So we made this whole joke of the fact that I was going to leave early and Morgan was going to kill Shakespeare before. And then I'd step behind the curtain, change out and leave for the day. But unbeknownst to Morgan, we had also talked to Marlo because it was the anniversary of Marlo getting stabbed in the eye. And so we had arranged for the person who happened to be Marlo at the fair, like, hey, do you want to die today? And they said, well, actually, I have to leave early. I said, perfect. So Morgan had come up with full on uh, choreography for the sword fight of exactly how 
She was going to come over the top with the sword, with the hilt, I think, first, then bring the blade up at, into me, and all this stuff. Had a whole plan for the thing. So I try to meet with um, Marlo about five minutes earlier and to work out, like, what we're going to do. And Morrigan comes walking up the street early. <laughs> and so we're like, crap, improv! <laughs> so... Uh, Morgan comes with the over the head. There was a, there was a bit of an interchange about um, we were talking about whether the sword was mightier than the pen, and Morgan came up with the one liner of "I'll show you which is mightier," <laughs> and did the sword fight. Brought the sword up, and as that was happening, I grabbed Marlo's head and brought Marlo down onto the sword. Marlo <laughs> went flat on the ground. I stepped back with "You killed Marlo." <laughs> Morgan did not stop and was stepping over the body and chased me off the scene. Apparently, while I was while we were off stage, as soon as we got off stage, I turned to her and said, you just killed Marlo. And she goes, I know. Very excited. And then she, so I, I leave. Apparently, the sheriff was there, tossed an eye patch down onto the body of Marlo. And and then walked up to as Morgan came back out and said, well, one poet's as good as another and paid her. <laughs> and then they went. But the best part of it was people were walking by going, oh, so that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> they thought we were doing a historical reenactment of Marlowe's death. I mean, we were essentially. Oh, of course. Of course. That's that is how it happened. I mean, history books have yeah. shown. Angry children. <laughs> Angry children are horrible on poets. And and I think uh, the natural segue at this point is uh, that la person who's been talking for the last little while is DW. DW, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? <laughs> Hi, I'm DW and apparently responsible for some of the craziness that goes on on the radio or podcast these days. I'm old. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a voice actor and uh, performer of many... Like, perform at renaissance fairs and sing and all sorts of stuff and uh, was invited into this uh, podcast for Wheel of Time by my dear friend Ruark, who I've known for a long time, who has tried to get me to read the books a couple of times and I just haven't had time to read. And so when this story yeah, Reading came up is and, hard, I know. <laughs> it's time to read. That's the, <laughs> it's the time part of things. Uh, but when Ruark mentioned that the concept was taking a panel of people who hadn't read the books, I'm like, hey, I haven't read the books yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was lucky enough to have been welcomed into the group and have been having a blast. It actually kind of surprises me when Jen mentioned that this was for Rings of Power. I had always assumed that the the Wheel of Part or Watch of Watch Party Lord of the Rings had been going since the movies. And that the, or or like shortly thereafter, and that was the origin of it. It's an interesting concept to me. That our show, even though our podcast came later, currently our show is the only one to have aired. <laughs> that is a good point. So yeah, Lord <laughs> of the Rings and uh, and uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, you guys got a lot ready to get ready for and excited for you guys. It was it was that was part of our juiciness was building up to. And uh, Jen and Michael have had a huge time to to build up to Rings of Power, and you guys already got kicked off with. I listened to episode one. Fantastic job for uh, Lord of the Rings. And I'm, I'm honored that three of my friends got picked for this show. And uh, uh, Jen, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe the story Michael told me was uh, they initially announced Rings of Power and you guys rushed out a podcast as soon as you could. And then after that found out it was going to be like two years before the, the first episode dropped. Yes, that's exactly how it happened. 
<laughs> this is Jen and not DW doing a voice. I'm sorry, guys. I'm in like toddler hell chaos right now. No, it's I love that life. Yes, that's correct. So they had their podcast going for a while and then they approached me just kind of out of the blue. I didn't I didn't know Michael and Jen from anyone, but they uh, had joined up a Facebook group that I, I helped to moderate and uh, just approached me and said, you seem to know a lot about this stuff and we're interested in having you host a podcast for us. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I actually have a background in talking into a microphone, um, as most people can probably tell by listening to me. And but I, I had not indicated anything of that sort to them at the time. But uh, yeah, they they talked to me. They they convinced me to do it, and they they kind of gave me carte blanche to to figure out what format I wanted to do. And that format, like DW said, was I wanted to bring in people who hadn't read the books, people who weren't super fans, to watch the show and get their reaction because I have read those books. Two dozen times at least. I know them inside and out. I live in that world in my head most days. I mean, this this is a world I know, eat and breathe and sleep inside and out. There was no way I was going to be able to watch the show through new eyes and judgment free. So I wanted to get sets of eyes I could watch it shit through that that had never seen it before. And and I lucked into six of my friends volunteered and said, yes, let's do this. Uh, DW was one of them. Uh, another one was uh, Siobhan. Siobhan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Siobhan. Um, any pronouns are fine. Um, I have known Ruark for, God, is it like 20 years at this point? Holy it's shit, I think while. it is, yeah. That's pretty close. Yeah. Um, so um, when the Wheel of Time was announced, I recall Ruark basically splattering excitement and delight <laughs> all over the place <laughs> and talking up how much they love the show, being so excited about this, this book that I had never read. If I recall correctly, you had set up a Facebook group for people who had never read the books specifically to watch the show and share theories and talk about it. And I joined the Facebook group because I'm a big fantasy nerd and thought this sounded like a lot of fun. And then the proposal came up to start this podcast and participate in watching the show and just talking about it from the perspective of somebody who knows nothing about the lore, knows nothing about how the universe works. And I volunteered. I thought it sounded like a lot of fun. And I've been having an absolute blast with it. I've made new friends. I've, um, you know, been able to sit here every week and just shit talk about something I know absolutely nothing about, which is like my favorite activity ever. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a hoot. <laughs> and then uh, another person who who joined in with me uh, when I sent out uh, that invite was Axel. Axel, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Axel. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I've known Ruark for... Again, about 20 years through the same um, net goth set, uh, scene as, as Siobhan. Um, we met in, I think, New Orleans at a bar dressed in black. I remember, drinking, it was a carousel bar. Which that is, bar was spinning. That's right. Yep. The important thing is, you know, people at a bar dressed in black. Yes. That's pretty much been um, a theme of our friendship. Ever since. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Yep, yep. Um, that and uh, reenacting the great um, Anglo-American pig war of 1860-something. Well, if you kept your taters out of my pig, there wouldn't have been no war. If you didn't put your taters where my pig wants to eat, there wouldn't be no war. If you'd keep your pig penned in and away from my taters, there wouldn't be no war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could go round in circles, I think, for a bit too long like that. Dear uh, Eliza, dear Eliza. I, I was just waiting for the comment about somebody keeping their taters on a leash. <laughs> uh, no, this, this actually was a real war that was fought between... Uh, uh, it was a war that was almost but not quite fought <laughs> back on the, uh, it was the, one of the islands between like Seattle and Vancouver Island in the Northwest. Um, it was just before the American Civil War. The island had both American and British um, colonists on it and um, a pig owned by a British colonist ate potatoes belonging to an American colonist. Um, there was an argument. Um, British Royal Naval ships showed up. American uh, soldiers kind of like got their cannons out. They were both pointing at each other, both sent kind of messages back home saying, what the fuck do we do? Um, but the commanders on both sides were very much, okay, we're not going to start the thing without permission. A lot of the soldiers were like, we really want to fight. We want to fight. <laughs> so th there was lots and lots of... Um, saber rattling and it was really really close um when hq on both sides were like we do not want to fight you know the <laughs> americans were like we're about to have to start fighting with those slave owners down south so we don't want to fight with the british as well the british were busy with other wars so they were like we don't want to fight the americans also like there's way too much wheat comes out of america and that feeds everybody in the uk so we don't want starvation at this point um, and I think that orders. Axel right there just showed uh, exactly why they're on our podcast, because uh, the knowledge of history and weird history and mythology is is extremely wide and somewhat deep and, and very fun to listen to when, when Axel really starts going off on a rant. This Axel digression brought to you by Watch Party Wheel of Time podcast. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> I was into it. I was hoping to find out that it ended because someone brought a carrot and everyone just kind of fell apart. You know, it, 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 it ended because both sides got told, no, don't fucking fight. And then they reached a compromise. Um, and I think both farmers ended up unhappy. See, the, the uh, way I see it, yeah, feed the pig a, a carrot and some onions and then just roast the whole thing. And then you've got like mm -hmm. some pork with a nice, you know, the, the, the stuffing right. in it. And, and everybody's happy. Yep. It's like the, the first Thanksgiving. So likely what happened is that the captains, the commanders of both armies, ended up shaving a pig roast together while the owners of the pig and the plants were like, what about us? <laughs> and that, of course, led to the Great Parsnip Skirmish of Iowa in 1841. So right. that, that makes sense. That, that yeah. totally makes sense. There you, there you go. Yeah, the, the, the TLDR for me is I know more than most people about everything except the thing that they know lots and lots about. And speaking of people who know lots and lots about something, uh, there's David. I do. I, 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 uh, you know, I, I would say that, you know, more about Star Trek than just about anybody I know. And okay, that's, that's saying something considering I know quite a bit about a Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. So I'm David, uh, he, him, um, 
I have known Roark through their spouse for, gosh, now it's probably about 10 years we worked together. Has it been that long? And uh, we were Facebook friends for a long time and banter back and forth about the various Star Wars things going around. And um, I had read Wheel of Time, the first book, back in high school and remember absolutely nothing about it other than I enjoyed reading it. And so when Roark mentioned that they wanted to start a a Facebook group about discussing the new show, I'm like, yes, I'm all for it. I love visual media, so I'm going to be watching this. And then um, I had thought about doing podcasting for quite some time, and the podcast uh, got brought up in that group. And so, yep, here I am. And now it's really a family. So we're just going to keep on going. Yeah, I, I would like to extend a wish to you, uh, Ice and Fire people, that we lucked into a whole bunch of people who knew each other through Ruark, but now feel very much a camaraderie for each other. For those of you who didn't already know each other, I, I hope you guys have that same kind of luck in your podcast. Oh, yeah. I, I now love everybody except Constance because I already knew her. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very backhanded way of putting that. I love that. Uh, Constance. Yeah, I was actually going to say that there is a Game of Thrones costume prop set exhibit happening at the LA Natural History Museum. And Solar Morgan and myself are going to go together. Oh, that wonderful. way we can have a nerd field trip and maybe even record a little something for the uh, watch party of Ice and Fire while we're there. Take photos, put it up on our Facebook page. I'm really looking forward to that just because like like they're saying the details are, are my specialty and my favorite thing about this so i get to look at the costumes up close it's gonna be fun that sounds like so much fun yeah i i really wish that they would do a costumes of wheel of time uh exhibit because yeah yeah they didn't really do the game of thrones one until well after the series it ended though well, they needed to apologize for season eight. Really. <laughs> it was pretty. <laughs> Look at us. It, it, come on. It was pretty. Matter of fact, exhibited here is a Starbucks cup. Y'all, if you know. <laughs> so. I heard the Starbucks cup only got on the show because it knew the water bottle. <laughs> well, I no, I think what was happening there is they were explaining how they were able to get from one side of the continent to the other in in a few hours was caffeine-fueled dragons. See, I took it as a, a capitalism message that Starbucks had even gotten to Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, honestly, um, most people don't actually know this geographically, but the continent of Westeros is just a little to the west of Seattle. You see, it's an island. I, I thought it was just west of Easteros. Uh, no, actually, it's it's north of Southoros. Oh, all right. Yes. I yeah, thought it was south of North Oros. No, no, no. But that's a common oh, error. All right, all that's right. a common error, actually. Um, and, and this is why you are are on the Ice of Fire podcast and I'm not, because I, I don't understand yes, exactly. the, the geography nearly as well as you. It's okay. I can't read a regular clock, which is why I'm bad with wheels and cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I have not even seen Wheel of Time, Shame. and now I want to see it. Shame. No, no shit. Well, one of the first. <laughs> I, one of the first forays into fantasy for me was was seeing those those the cover art on the paperback books in like like you said in, in the high school library, 
Uh, and that was just, oh, this looks really interesting. Look how cool this art is. And that's yeah. when I first picked up the Wheel of Time. See, I only read the first three. I'm like, oh, these are fun. But I've always, like, real talk, I've always been more into sci-fi than fantasy um, for complexion issues. And um, when I read the Wheel of Time, though, I'm like, dude, time travel, magic, um, the you know, that's what I was thinking when I first picked up the books. I'm like, yes, we can deal with this. And um, I was genuinely surprised and more welcomed into my D&D group after I got done. <laughs> that does... It sadly does not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I am probably the only person in the Western Hemisphere that has not seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. You've seen a part of an episode. You 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 didn't see a part of an episode. <laughs> I walked past a television set where Axel was watching some scene that took place indoors. And I'm like, why are you staring at a blank screen? <laughs> I, th I think that I think that was the big outside battle at like in the far north that was all black, which that's I the, can't uh, really remember. Season one, Winterfell. No, that was that was season eight. That was yeah, yeah. yeah that was battle for the yeah. Where Arya Stark used her super secret weapon, gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Siobhan talking about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. And Siobhan, you found a piece of art that you really enjoy. So I found one that I, I think is really well done. It's a Star Wars piece, and it is a, it's a print with a background of smoke. And you can just make out Darth Vader's silhouette in the darkness, and then there's this slash of red where he's firing up his lightsaber. And just the colors and the design are so striking. Wow, that does sound amazing. And if you want to find amazing art like that for your house, you can check out Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four, cats with a K, Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. And I just have to say, Jen, it is so nice to see you because uh, I, I, I heard your voice a few times way back when we first started putting this thing together. And then all of my communication sense has been with Michael. And I was starting to think that you were a figment of my imagination. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking that Michael was filling me full of something. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I have a podcast co-host. She's, she's in Canada. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I have my hands in this and a lot of other um, projects, which my, my partner lovingly refers to as our worm farms, because none <laughs> of them make money um, <laughs> yet, I should say yet. But yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've kind of been behind the scenes doing things, and I, I communicate a whole lot with our graphic designer, who's a very dear friend, so she's designed um, two of the three of our logos for these wonderful podcasts. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, but I, I have been enjoying immensely building this thing and listening to you guys, you know, weekly and everyone, you guys, especially Wheel of Time, um, you're just killing it. So it's, it's an honor really to consider you guys part of our, our network. And Thank I can't you. wait to see what you House of the Dragon folks do. I know you're already off to an amazing start. They've already got a huge fan base in the Facebook group. I, I've been watching your Facebook numbers tick up and up and up. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of get to my show and the reason that I feel like people should get excited about this show and hopefully listen to our podcast as your companion as you watch the show. 
Yeah, tell us all about Rings of Power. It's coming out uh, in just over a month on Amazon Prime. Is that correct? Correct. September 2nd is when it premieres. So we are gearing up. We're getting ready. Um, It's the Rings of Power. So it's basically set in the second age of Middle Earth. So this is thousands of years before the Lord of the Rings takes place. It's not a prequel necessarily, but it's based on um, a lot of Tolkien's different writings in the appendices. So they have the rights to the appendices. They're drawing from different things from the Silmarillion, um, different things from Tolkien's whole legendarium. And the way that this has worked is that they've gotten permission from the Tolkien estate um, on a case-by-case basis. So oftentimes they would go to um, Simon Tolkien, who's been working with them to adapt this series, ask for permission, and it was often given. So there's going to be a lot of first-age material even that's brought in. and, and but, what what uh, relation does Simon have to the Tolkien estate? Oh, so Simon Simon is actually um, Simon Tolkien, so so he is like the great grandson, <laughs> and so it's okay. a pretty big deal that he is um, involved in the series, and he's making sure that uh, a lot of it sticks to the canon or close to the canon, um, and I think we're going to get just an amazing series out of. Um, out of the showrunners because the showrunners Patrick McKay and JD Payne are huge Tolkien fans. And just to be clear, this I think why you know the average fan will be excited is because this is going to focus a lot on the rise of Sauron, who people folks will recognize as the big bad villain um, of Middle Earth, and also the forging of the Rings of Power. And and that was a character named uh, Kella Brimbor, is that correct? Yeah, Kella Brimbor, exactly. You know your you know I, your I, I can tell you that I do not actually know my my Tolkien. I just play video games. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well there I think there's quite a bit of lore in the video games. So yeah. so that'll work. Um but you'll actually get to see the rings of power being forged, uh, presumably at some point in the series. Um it focuses also heavily on the island of Numenor, which is Tolkien's Atlantis. So it's sort of the story of Atlantis, but uh, Tolkien's version. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of political intrigue. Um, in a sense, there's going to be a lot of the stuff that you love about the original. So beautiful landscapes of both New Zealand and some some English landscapes in there because they're now filming in parts of England. Um, there's going to be a beautiful soundtrack by Bear McCreary, uh, who also partnered with Howard Shore, who is the original composer. So all of that beautiful music that we hear in Lord of the Rings, you're going to hear different different original music, but it's it's very similar. Um, you'll see every every character that you've loved from Lord of the Rings. You'll see hobbits. You'll see. Pr- we think that they'll be wizards. So that's if you want to know more about that, you can listen to our podcast. Um, but you'll see elves you know you'll see the whole gamut you'll see some gnarly looking orcs um no no gambit is from x-men that's that's a different yeah property entirely <laughs> a whole different thing whole different universe but uh, gambit's um, actually only a portion of gambit the whole gambit is from lord of the rings the oh, gambit from right. marvel is okay. just his hand there you go <laughs> um so i know a lot of people out there know about the silmarillion uh, not as many people have actually read it but is is that kind of what this is going to be based off of um you know, it's, I would say it's not exact, not exactly. <laughs> it's complicated, but if you want a really good context in the, wait, within wait, wait, the wait. something about Tolkien's uh, legendarium is complicated. Oh, I know. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. So mostly it will be based on, um, 
the Alcalabeth, which is a book within the Silmarillion. Um, that sort of lays the, the footwork. So that's probably the closest reference you would have if you read um, the Alcalabeth in the Silmarillion and get, get used to some of those characters. I, <laughs> some of those characters will be appearing. Um, but they're drawing from a lot of different source material we have learned. Um, not just the Silmarillion, but ideas that are in his wider canon. And um, so a lot of fans in our fandom have been upset that it won't be. Um, there are characters that are totally invented that are based on um, characters or ideas from the Silmarillion and from other extended works. Uh, I am personally really excited about this. I think that um, Tolkien had a really loose idea of what canon was. He reworked his um his books until his death, essentially. And so um, somebody taking creative license is really okay by me. I know a lot of people are upset by that, but I'm optimistic for the show. I think the trailers that have been released are really exciting. They're action-driven, but there's also definitely thought and intention behind what we've seen. So um, if you want to know more, please check out our podcast. We are releasing, we're recording twice a week now. We're really ramping up our content, and uh, we've got some exciting things in the works that I can't even announce yet. So uh, stay tuned for our, for our Rings of Power content that's coming at you very soon. Are any of you planning on watching the show? Are any of you secret Lord of the Rings fans or uh, not so yes. secret? No, not, not a secret. Yeah, I'm there. definitely going to be watching. Amazing. I'm, I'm excited about Bear McCurry and Howard Shore music. That's just like a yeah. combination of beautiful for the ears. Yeah, as soon as you said Bear McCreary, I was on board because yeah. uh, his score for Battlestar Galactica was oh, yeah. phenomenal. Yep. Absolutely phenomenal. I'm yes. super interested in seeing the East before it falls. Mm. Mm, yes the haradrim and mm -hmm. that whole cohort and how do they fall how do they get corrupted this is all stuff that we don't we don't know it's not actually written out uh you know there's not a play-by-play -play of it so they're able to imagine a lot of what this is going to look like um and this is going to be I, I forgot to mention this is going to be the most expensive television show ever made <laughs> um so i have some high hopes for some of the visuals and i think you know as far as the cinematography what i've seen so far i'm totally in love with it's a very dramatic um and beautiful you know bright colors and um just sweeping landscapes it's it's pretty exciting they had the budget to make what they wanted to make there was essentially jeff bezos is a fan of lord of the rings so he was like there's no cap on this thing go crazy and that's exactly what they did yeah, and it looks like they really followed the design uh, aesthetic of the Peter Jackson movies and just kind of went bigger and, and broader with that same design aesthetic. Yeah, and Rivendell then, looked exactly the same as the yeah. in the Jackson movies in the well, trailer to me. You know, you, it's really hard to improve upon what the Weta Workshop does. <laughs> no, <laughs> <doubt>. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, exactly. And and Weta's involved and and they've brought in, you know, some really great designers. Um, the costumes have that we've seen have been beautiful and intricate. I know a lot of you, uh, Song of Ice and Fire people are costume, costume uh, nerds, I'll say. So I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings promotional pictures, but they're absolutely gorgeous. The costumes, very intricate. Though mm -hmm. no, I am reticent. I am reticent that wizards might be in the show because this predate well actually it predates the lore uh for when the wizards <laughs> got to middle earth you see they didn't come until the fall of thara okay all right i'm done <laughs> <laughs> 
that has been a lot of people's concern. Um, but so Michael and I have speculated that the the only wizard that we'll see is a blue wizard, which would actually be consistent with the lore um, because there's a version of Tolkien's writings where the blue wizards do come in the second age to Middle Earth. So if that's the case, then it's then it's totally consistent. But if it's if it's not, if, if it's people have said, oh, it's Gandalf, that's the meteor man that landed um, on Middle Earth in the trailer, and people are upset about that. I think I might be a little irritated by that if it is Gandalf. If it's yeah, a blue it should, wizard, great, awesome. It, it that, really should exciting. be Alatar or Palando. Um, but yeah, again, <laughs> it's like, let Ian McCullen rest. You right. Know. Let, yeah. let him rest. Yeah. You know, one thing that uh, I've I've learned from having the first season of Wheel of Time actually out is the hyper nerds need to realize that the lore is not as important as they think it is. It it can get Reach. fudged around. It can get moved around quite a bit and still work and still make sense. And and that's something that a, a lot of us had to learn the hard way with Wheel of Time, but I've come around to it with watching Wheel of Time with I don't know what's going to happen next. I know in broad strokes what's going to happen down the line, but I don't know what's going to happen immediately next because they're taking the the points in time that are happening and and a little bit of the lore and kind of, you know, melding characters and, and rewriting the story so it works in the visual medium. And I understand all that, but it also makes it so I don't know necessarily exactly what's going to happen. And for the first time in like 10 years, I have Wheel of Time content and don't know where it's going. And that is so thrilling, such a thrilling feeling to have. So, you know, if they stick to the lore too much, you already know what's going to happen and you're going to be bored. I've mentioned this on our podcast, you know, on other episodes, but like I've always kind of, I think I was groomed by Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where every telling is slightly different. And yeah. there are versions of it I like and the versions of it that I don't like as much. But you see the similar themes, you see how it fits together differently. And it's still interesting each time. Um, and that, that's kind of given me a love for being able to um, see see it in different uh, mediums and really enjoy the new version of it. And I'm it's kind of one of the things uh, I'll get to the, that when it comes right back around to me. Um, but, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing some content from Lord of the Rings that I don't know. Yeah. And, and Wheel of Time, we really have a, a convenient way to explain that away is just saying, you know, it's just another turning of the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Solar, you have something. Uh, yeah, it's um, there's an old saying that the medium is the message. Um, I've been reading books and comics and looking at adaptations since, God, I think the mid '80s, and um, I I know so many purists that are like, I want the show or the movie to be a complete recreation of what's in my imagination, although I'm not a writer, a producer, a director, and I don't know any, <laughs> but I demand to see this. And if I don't get it, I'll pay my hard-earned money to complain. And I'm going, you know, the producers are happy for your hard-earned money. Yeah. And they're not listening to your complaints. But, um, but one of the things that I always try and do myself is to judge each adaptation to the medium yeah. that it's from um i learned this like my my really big lesson on this was um paul verhoeven's 1996 production of starship troopers um so much <laughs> not the book um yeah. and so much not the book but still 
an amazing thing in its own right. Yes, exactly. Brilliant on its own legs. Yeah. And um, ironically, the closer thing to the book adaptation of that was the Roughneck CGI cartoon that came out in 98. Um, but when I look through my novel collection and then my DVD collection, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not getting a page per page retelling. I think the closest thing that I've seen so far was Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Yeah. And um, it was it was like, yay, it's moving, you know, and maybe because my imagination has a larger budget than Hollywood can afford, even with the backing <laughs> of Jeff Bezos. But um you know, yeah, the the loyalists that want that, I don't really think they know they don't want it. Uh, Constance, you had something. Yeah, well, first of all, in the the whole topic of the the medium translations, uh, Sandman. I don't know if we're going to do a watch party for Sandman or not, but <laughs> that's something I'm really excited about because they have taken a lot of the shot for shot straight out of the comic visuals. Yeah, And some of those are just so beautiful and so stunning. And they've made a lot of adaptions and changes because sometimes the written word does not translate to the visual medium. Sandman has the big advantage of Neil Gaiman being right involved in the production of it. So as we saw with Good Omens, he's going to produce something that stands up to the medium and doesn't screw things up along the way, which can easily happen with things like, for example, the Watchmen movie which managed to be oh so close to right, but have <laughs> just a few things that demonstrated that it's completely missed the point. Yeah. Which I think I meant went on about in one of our earlier podcasts. You go on about something? Uh, no. I might have done, yeah. I'm just happy that they got Gwendolyn to play Lucifer. That was, oh, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I melted. Yeah. She looks amazing. Well, she always does, but I'm like, oh, Lucifer, especially since the the role for the comic Lucifer was really solidified in most people's heads as Tilda Swinton in the Constantine movie yeah. back in the early 2000s. So that character has a certain look. Not to say that the television show isn't cool. But, um, Speaking of Constantine, Constance, you had something to follow that up with? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, not necessarily Constantine, but in um, the the source material for House of the Dragon, there's several different versions of the story. It's it's relayed as a history of uh, the, the Targaryen dynasty. And like any kind of historical situation, there's multiple sources. So we don't know which source of, of the writers are going to draw off of. So there's a lot of room for interpretation just within the actual text of the story. So we don't know which version we're going to get when it actually mm. broadcasts. So that's something that's kind of exciting for, for those of us that have read the books. We don't know where that's going to come from. Morgan. Going back to the, all the different mediums and stuff like that, I want to ex like express a little bit about my experience with Lord of the Rings. My first experience with Lord of the Rings was one of the multiple radio shows. We would listen to it while we were driving down to the Southern California Renaissance Fair. Later on, I got another one of the radio shows, and then I watched the animated movies. And then I got to see the live action movies. And then I read all the books. <laughs> and I have, I have loved every angle of it that I've seen. And they've all been very different. And very few of them have Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> Missing the best bit. Yeah. Yes. So I, I just want to say, yeah, it, 
regardless of source material that you can make something great i do want to point out though that if someone if a showrunners are trying to stick to the source material and then change their mind later on that that can be a little harder i find it interesting because um my prime fandom is star trek and that's a medium where it was always video always visual there isn't a a novel or or a comic book that it was written based on and so it's unusual to see some of these fandoms that have these bases and how they react to them differently. And it's also kind of evolved differently with Star Trek itself, because now you have fandoms that grew up on the original series that are poo-pooing all of the new stuff because it's not their Star Trek. It's like, well, it's the same thing, guys. You know, it evolves. Even if it's all visual, it's somebody else's interpretation of the universe. And it's also interesting how different mediums translate well to becoming visual media. Like the more modern comic books, it's a little easier to adapt those one for one. Um, You know, some of the older comic books, it's a little more silly with the outfits and whatnot, but where comics don't have as much description, it's, it's also really a visual media. You can kind of move those to a video or a, or a TV format a lot easier and still maintain the shot for shot look that was in the original media. David, really interesting when you brought that up and thinking about the fact that Star Wars started as a TV medium, but has become a comic series. There are novels, there are all these other things. And each variation of the show has become a different kind of telling with a different almost different target audience of what type of story they're trying to tell, whether it's a stationary story or a lost in space story or a, you know, starting out story. And they've done so many different angles. And I'd give Star Trek the credit for being one of the few that has had such a rich parody that has like excelled galaxy quest. Um, The Orville, these are really kind of, spin-off slash parodies lower decks lower decks an official parody i I know exactly (laughs) and and there is it i I would be amazing to see that happen from lord of the Rings. somebody do a fantasy story that was like still trying to be a fantasy story but also poking fun at wheel of time and lord of the rings and like all these other stories would be a brilliant story i think it would be very interesting i think some have done a little bit of that i think axel i think it has a a suggestion. Yep. Uh, Board of the Rings, which was published, I think, by Harvard Lampoon back in the late 60s, early 70s. I remember reading it many, many years ago. Um, it, it was a, an attempt at a spoof of the book done in short novel format. I quite enjoyed it at the time, but I was 15, so I have no idea if it's held up. <laughs> <laughs> but I would recommend looking out for it. Okay, I haven't heard of this, so maybe we'll do this for one of our um, one of our episodes. We'll read this. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion. You're very welcome. Now I can totally see like a 30-minute television show of Barlaman's Butterbur's um, um, Chronicles at the Prancing Pony. Like, you know, today another group of adventurers came in. There, there was a recent puppet show that started kind of doing this that was like Barb the Barbarian or something like that. And it had a little tongue-in-cheek references to all the fantasy stories out there and like D&D and stuff like that. It was really, really cute. Um, but the other thing I wanted to, to touch on was something Constance said 
that I didn't know about um, the Game of Thrones and the, the Targaryen stuff, that it was from different points of view, which I think offers them a really interesting aspect to tell a story, a one linear story that from whoever's point of view is that description. Because like you can you can get the whole this is what actually happened. But of course, this person saw it this way and this person saw it this way. You're talking about the unreliable, un, unreliable narrator trope. Exactly. Yeah. But playing it from the opposite side, you've gotten the three relations. Now you get to see what the actual story was. It would be an interesting aspect. Well, we do know there will be a dragon saying how much that she hated something that flames were coming from the side, of, the her side face. of her face. Yes. Yes. Lots of flames and, and heaving uh, flames. So, Morgan. Yeah, I just want to add in, based on what uh, DW was saying, that pretty much that's the whole way Game of Thrones and all the subsequent books are written. Uh, every chapter is named after the character whose perspective it is focusing on. And they can sometimes show the exact same scenes from different sides and at slightly or at slightly different times well, the other characters don't see it. And it gives you a lot of dramatic irony uh, and gives you a lot of perspective and makes you wonder, is what I saw under this character actually real or is it just this character's skewed view of the world? At Joffrey's wedding had like three perspectives, if I remember right. Yeah, that's something that's really common in uh, Robert Jordan's writings as well. The Wheel of Time, almost every chapter is from a different point of view. Um, I... I Remember looking it up once, there are 1,700 named characters and like 400 different unique points of view or something like that in the books. So yeah, it, it's it's apparently a trope that that is common in fantasy at this point. But it's so very different from Lord of the Rings, right? Where you have, um, you have basically the, this, the omniscient um, perspective, whereas like first person limited is I feel like these days it's it's more true to the the human experience of it's going to be different different from people's different filters right yeah. depending on who is speaking so I I personally enjoy like reading both styles but certainly it makes for a really complicated story um what's the you know deciding what the takeaway is because I did read um House of the Dragon and it was it read like a historical more of a historical document to me but i did love getting the different perspectives from different targaryens about what was happening that was pretty cool that just gave me an interesting idea of the you know uh we're getting the story and i believe how it's kind of placed at least in the movies um it's been a while since i've read lord of the rings uh novels but that that's frodo's response to bilbo's initial novel and that he was like writing a novel to tell the rest of the story. But with the trend we currently have of people writing books from the villain's perspective and like that they were misunderstood, it'd be interesting for somebody to release Sauron's version of events and how wronged he was. <laughs> the fandom, the fandom would literally just like riot if that happened. There <laughs> <laughs> would be riots in the streets. I think that's actually room to do something really interesting with that uh, as a sort of a political piece you know to to direct at the problems with lord of the rings 
right? Like, because, you know, Sauron representing industrialization and trying to build a better world for everybody, you know, um, and being thwarted by this bunch of reactionary agriculturalists. Um, brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, I'd like to see Saruman. He's in the middle and has all those things, and he outlives Sauron, just saying. <laughs> Solar, you had something. Uh, yeah, I have to say that um, I vehemently disagree, um, primarily because Lord of the Rings is one of the only stories left that there is a, an actual good guy and actual bad guy. But having read the Silmarillion as many times as I have, I honestly wouldn't be interested to to see any of the second or third age from Sauron's point of view, because he... He was literally a mark. I mean, he got conned by Melkor. And he's like, yes, I'm a true believer in the guy that was exiled away from Eru Luvatar and the rest of the Valar. So, is, is, yeah, is, I believe this guy. You know, Is Melkor the guy that looks like the Great Gazoo? Uh, no, Melkor... Melkor's Mel like the original bad guy. He's so like the Melkor true devil. <laughs> yeah, Melkor yeah. is the devil, and Sauron is just an archdemon. Yeah. I swear I had a Tolkien encyclopedia, and Melkor looked like the Great Gazoo. <laughs> he might, and they also call him Morgoth, and there are some other names, yeah. too. Yes. So, so Melkor is the names. dark one, and Sauron is Ishamil. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, pretty much. Go. And um, so, yeah, it's like, well, I'm just trying to make this work. It, it, it's like the episode of South Park where Cartman, uh, where Cartman calls Cthulhu. It's like, yes, I'm just trying to make the world a better place for you, Sauron. <laughs> You're trying to make the world a better place for you, you know? And I think that's what a story from his point of view would really come down to. Now, yeah. the industrialization idea, I'm right there with Morgan. That would be Saruman's story. And he, he has the more compelling, the compelling um, perspective and narrative arc, so... Listen, yeah. there's a really great fan fiction community if people want to, like, take a whack at it. I didn't you know? say I wanted to see them have sex with each other. I said I <laughs> wanted to see them <laughs> You know what? I'm here for whatever. That's a different <laughs> subsect of fan fiction. Is it, though? David, you've got something. Please take yeah. us away from this. <laughs> Go going back to the perspectives in fantasy novels, it really makes sense that we see this multi-character perspective style of writing because fantasy novels tend to be more of a world-building situation as opposed to just telling a singular story. And you really can't build a world if you're only seeing it from one character's perspective. I mean, imagine a Game of Thrones if you only saw it from Jamie's perspective. <laughs> it would be pretty boring, right? Lord of the Rings, where it's not that style of writing, Tolkien had to go back and fill in the blanks in a lot of places and write all of these companion works that kind of said, this is what else is going on in this world as a whole. And so it makes more sense that the other kind of long form fantasy novels have this style where you're seeing it from different characters' perspectives because it's a world building situation as opposed to just telling one character's story so it's it's built-in retconning <laughs> i wanted to piggyback off that and basically say the hobbit like straight up all bilbo's perspective and you can see throughout the story 
when other characters are like leaving and doing something else and you're like, I really want to know what's happening and it doesn't tell you. They had to make stuff up when they made the movies because they didn't know what was going on necessarily. And they had to say, okay, we assume that this is what's happening based on what we see everywhere else. Yeah. As Gandalf leaves for five chapters, we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of that in the Rings of Power. Like, hey, the showrunners are filling in the blanks here. And people are going to definitely take issue with a lot of what they do. Um, I am basically along for the ride. I am going to, I have long ago decided that the show is going to be something unto itself and I'm not going to be too, um, nitpicky. There'll be certain things that bother me, but the main thing that Michael and I talk about that we're looking for is, does this be, does this feel true to the core of Tolkien? If it can check that box for me, then I'm not going to get too precious about my little, uh, gripes. Oh, I see what you did there. My precious. My precious. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) But I'm looking forward to hearing about y'all shows and what you're, you know, excited about and especially you House of the Dragon people. I just wanted to to touch right on what Jim was saying there with the idea of, yeah, the filling in the blanks is lovely. I feel like with the Hobbit movies, they filled in more blanks than they needed to to stretch that out into three movies. Yes. (laughs) They could have filled in less blanks. (laughs) Those were a disaster as far as I'm concerned. But there's a friend of mine didn't edit where he edited it down to about two and a half. But we did notice that every time um, uh, Thorin makes an entrance, it's always from off camera to on. And so when we were watching the shortened version of it, every time it came in, hello, ladies. Because it was the the look in his eye. Even the hole that Bilbo talks to to him through in the wall, he enters from the side. Hello, ladies. Every time Thorin comes on camera. Yeah, I got kind of tired of seeing sexy dwarves. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, like, where's your long beard? Oh, no. We have five o'clock shadows. So, Solar, um, Constance earlier told us a little bit about what to expect from, from uh, um, what the hell is your show called? <laughs> watch Party of Ice and Fire? <laughs> no, not Watch Party of Ice and Fire, but the show that you're... Uh, House of the uh, Dragon. House of the Dragon, thank you. Uh. Uh, so, Constance earlier told us a little bit about something, uh, about what we can look forward to with House of the Dragon. Uh, I'm in- interested to hear from you. What what do we know so far? What What's... Give us the elevator pitch. What do we know? What's happening? What? Where is this set? Okay. Well, set in Westeros, hundreds of years before the show that people are still mad at. Now, we have Doctor Who himself looking sexy and Matt Smithy being the greatest fighter of the kingdom and the head of the police department and more war. But instead, this time, we've got fully grown dragons doing fully grown dragon things. You mean we don't have to wait three seasons? We will not have to wait three seasons for the Dagrons to be spitting their fire. And honestly, we've got the great dialogue. We've got the historical accounts. For those people that like political intrigue, this is a time in the history of Westeros that was full of more political intrigue, if you can believe it, than the War of Five Kings. But if... The people were like, you know, the Game of Thrones was so cool, but I wanted to know more about Daenerys and what's up with these Targaryens. You want you want platinum blondes? You're getting 
platinum blondes. Okay, we're getting platinum blondes all <laughs> over the place. You I know? love platinum blondes, <laughs> right? So you know, we we've got um, more conversations about successions. We get to see a Targaryen king who says more than burn them all, and we get to learn of a couple of more houses for those fans of Game of Thrones that are out there that weren't featured in the last show, specifically House Valeria and House Hightower. And we get to see a lot more of the continent, which means new sets, new CGI, new cinematography. Um, So this show is going to be like a lot of the stuff that they, they took a look at all the emails and said, oh, people want to know more about this. Well, you want it, you got it. Okay, we're talking about this. And we have got a glorious lack of Dan and Dave. So Tolkien <laughs> came back. So this show should be everything that people loved about Game of Thrones up to season five. Um, with all of the lessons that they've learned from the last few shows. You know, not to mention Sir Hotness of Hot Pants um, being everything a knight is supposed to be. So that's that's what I have to say on that. Constance, you have something to follow that up with. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of complaints and a lot of concerns in the original Game of Thrones series about the treatment of women. Uh, There's a lot of people that had issue with the way that women were handled by the male characters in the story. And something that I've seen so far and something about the source material, this is a much more empowering story for the women, for the female characters. They have a lot more agency. They have a lot more dynamic action. They're not just regulated to being wives and spouses. Uh, They've got a lot more to do and a lot more to fight for. Uh, Daenerys' lost kingdom is, is part of what this story will reflect is who will inherit the throne? And you can, that's not a spoiler. That's in all the trailers. That's in all the, the promo materials. And it's a very much a struggle for the women in that time period to assert their dominance. But they're not treated the same way that they were in the other series. They've got a lot more... Um, a lot more agency. A lot more agency, yeah. yeah. And, and that's something that I'm really pleased at seeing. And I can say that that's that's very good to hear because I actually never made never read the original novels. I made it about two hundred pages into the first book and thought, no, the the way women are treated in this, I I can't deal with, and and noped out. So it, I'm I'm happy to hear that for the new series. Yeah, I I don't think that I I share that gripe with regards to just the show um, because I felt so compelled by the female storylines in particular, um, Daenerys' storyline, Sansa Stark, um, Arya Stark, the way that those women kind of go through their trials and, and rise above and, um, come out on top in many, many regards. I was, I, I found that really inspiring and I understand there were definitely gripes with the way there were some gratuitous scenes. Um, but, I think that if if this show is anything like the last show, I'm really personally excited to see the female storylines. Um, and also, we maybe this is a larger conversation, but I love the line. There's a particular line from the series, and I believe it's in the novels too, that says, everywhere in the world hurts girls, right? Like this is... There's something in these series that's true to real life. 
And whether or not that should be depicted, that's a larger conversation. But the trials that they face, the injustices that they face, those are true to female experiences the world over and time and memoriam, right? So I don't know that I have maybe the same gripes um, with them unfolding. I, I do think there was some gratuitousness in, in the way they were depicted. But um, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't share this, maybe the same um, gripes about it. And I, I think there were a lot of empowering aspects about um, the female characters within the show. Solar, you have a follow-up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on that same note, um, this particular show seems to have gotten a few letters that um, stated that people were a little tired of seeing people that look like me in the historical um, context of slaves and eunuchs. And um, this particular show has gone a little above and beyond on that by casting an entirely um, black, not just person of color, but an entire black, um, powerful house of the show. And that is, it's one of the, re I mean, I was already in, but given how, well, how can I, okay. It's time for me to piss off 4chan. I'm sorry, guys, but oh no, we live for that. Yeah. For there's it. always been this thing, especially with quote, fantasy purist in quotes, that their underlying tone is my fantasy is a world where you're either not in it at all or you're in it in chains. And that's what they would say to people like me and LGBT specifically. Yeah. And um, this show kind of went, hey, you know what? No. Um, historically speaking, Timbuktu was the intellectual capital of the Western world during the times of the Greeks and Romans. So, you know, um, darker people, people with a darker hue outside of Spain and Europe were everywhere. And so this particular show is giving us a little bit of that, you know, the other family from Valeria specifically um, are looking at our, our people that look like me. And that does actually pull a heartstring on that because oh. there's so few of us in fantasy. You know, it's one of the reasons I'm more into sci-fi than fantasy because fantasy is always has always had an underlying tone of there is one place for me in fantasy. And so this show is kind of butting its head directly against that. And I'm loving the yeah. fallout. Oh my God. And <laughs> and I can say there was a lot of fallout uh for Wheel of Time for similar reasons. Um they announced the main cast and there were, you know, it wasn't a bunch of white people. You know, most uh, a large portion of the main cast is not white. Game of Thrones too, or yeah. sorry, Lord of the Rings too, as well. Yeah, and and it it caused a lot of consternation in in the fan community, but I didn't see why because part of the reason I loved Wheel of Time was there was there there is extreme redhead representation in that book, and and we don't get a lot of representation, and and I'm not joking when I say that. And so seeing that representation in the book, like that's part of why it became my favorite book series ever. I was there, I was present, I was the main character. And having that strong feeling, I wanted anybody else who joined into this world to have that exact same feeling. And when I saw the cast that they had announced, I was like, thank God, because so many people, so many different cultures, so many, whoever you are, you can find somebody in this to, to identify with. And it, it really made me happy. 
Yeah, it was really interesting. I watched it specifically happen on the internets with um, Lord of the Rings recently, where people were up in arms about, you can't have black elves. Uh, what? They're Why not... the fuck not? Well, it's this whole idea that when we start going into fantasy or we go into it, and I've seen it happen even in sci-fi. Uh, I know Solar's familiar. We've had conversations about this where like, well, it's another planet. They have to be white. Why? They could be chartreuse for all we know. Like elves aren't a yeah. historical thing to draw from <laughs> that we know the skin. I mean, we've checked the the DNA we've gotten off the bones we've dug up. Clearly, state that elves have to be it. No, no, Little they don't. Did they know the elves came from Zimbabwe? <laughs> exactly. Like seeing that variety, even if it was historical, what does it matter? Yeah, historical of what? Westeros. This isn't our history. Back in the days, back in the days of Westeros, but that that whole idea of seeing you know this opportunity for people to have that broken uh, structured. So it, when we're looking at our our problems, our flaws in how we've treated people, and being able to tell the story of a, a world that that's not the problem, there are still problems, but nobody's looking at the black elf and going, "But you shouldn't be here," and that just seems like. I, I, it baffles me that people are rejecting. It's, it's that. ridiculous. Like, it's it's the thing that always bothers me when when those arguments come up is I just think okay, you're fine with dragons and magic and wizards and trolls and orcs and trollocs and whatever, but a person of color suddenly is where your your ability to believe breaks down. I'm I'm well, not buying specifically, it. Specifically, no. specifically a person of color who knows how to read. Yeah. Or a woman that can wear a crown, you yeah. know, it, it's. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's also weird how it's so focused in geek fandoms. It's like, you know, Hamilton is so extremely popular, but no one's screaming about a black Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah, they a were. A lot of people were. No, they, they, and they still are. It. That's the sad part. Not at the volume that. Oh, no, they are. It's just the praise is so much louder. And that's the thing. That's the thing that I think has happened with a lot of fantasy uh, being translated or just even being created for the medium. People are worrying about pissing off the people who are loud. And I think what Hamilton got the opportunity to do was we're not going to listen to the people who are currently loud because we think if we do this, the people who like it will be louder. And so seeing that coming from some of the fantasy coming out now. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping the people who are fans of these changes in Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and all of them, that they're louder than the people who are complaining about that change. Because that's where the studios, where for, you know, to be capitalistic, you know, conversation about it, they're interested in getting the right number of butts in the seats. Mm -hmm. And so if they get to see that people will see those shows rather than them being told that women can't be main characters or black people can't be main characters, you know, uh, Black Panther did such a fabulous job of showing them that a a uh, movie that was led and built around people who weren't white did amazingly well. And has such a fan base. There are people who don't like that because it has black people in it. Mm -hmm. And those people can go find whatever corner of the world they want to swim in. Drowned, hopefully. I, I, that's why I start with them <laughs> being in water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. The only thing Hamilton really um, turned me off to was the name Alexander. I'm just kind of tired of hearing about it. <laughs> Would that be Alexander Hamilton? Uh, 
Don't make me hit you with Jellicle. <laughs> well, I think that uh, we can all agree that uh, we, we just need to stop with the gatekeeping in all of our communities. And, and inclusion and representation are good things. Just let be inclusive in your fandoms. Be inclusive in your geekdoms. Let other people in. That It's more fun when you let other people in. Or at least and, put your hate cards back in the deck. Because it's getting old. Let there be fantasy trans people. Absolutely. Especially since a magic trope is gender switching. Like that, I mean, it's sex switching. You know, and there's so many, like, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Morgan. Like, you know, I can't believe an entire generation who grew up on Monty Python are having problems with men playing women, women playing men, men becoming women, women becoming men. It's like, the characters are the characters. Let the stories happen. Well, and the, the beautiful one that's going around right now is if you had no problem calling that man John Wayne and you have a problem calling Elliot Page Elliot Page, your problem is not having a different name than they were born with. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they handled it so beautifully. Hey, man, uh, Marion was awesome. <laughs> and to try to bring this back around, um, we've we've discussed both houses the house of the dragon and the rings of power uh coming up and and what we can expect from that but we haven't talked about uh wheel of time and and why people should enjoy that and what they can expect coming up and i think i'm going to take a different tack rather than having me the ultra nerd nerd out at you about it i'm going to i'm going to tell Siobhan to tell you about it cuz Siobhan has has turned into a a pretty relative hyper nerd herself on this subject for for uh, a series that I knew absolutely nothing about when I walked into it. Um, so I mentioned that uh, how I got into this is through Ruark's um, Facebook group for people who had never read the books. And when the trailers came out, I made a post about my first impression of the trailer. And I think that's the reason that Ruark reached out to me and said, you want to be in this podcast? Because my review of the trailer was, holy shit, like a group of people who are not all just all white men with speaking parts who are important to the story and this incredibly beautiful sets and this incredibly beautiful costuming. This show is going to be so pretty and actual terrifying monsters. What the shitting fuck is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was very much what appealed to me about just walking into the show is you have this, um, show that puts so much detail and effort into the costumes, into the sets, into the cinematography. It's incredibly beautifully created. And also you have these characters who are interesting. They're um, not just diverse in appearance, but diverse in life experiences, in, you know, these world-spanning cultures that are that are all very different from each other. You don't have the kind of generic, you know, medieval European set up for the entire world and i just it's it's so much fun to watch and it's so much fun to talk about all these details and and season two is coming up what are you expecting to see with season two i'm really looking forward to finding out more about the aiel wastelands and i've mentioned this before from the trailer it very much looks like we're going to get into the desert cultures which again is different from what we've already seen uh, anybody else, uh, what were your impressions of Wheel of Time, especially those of us, those of you not on the Wheel of Time podcast? I'd like to hear your, your impressions. Well, I 
uh, so I watched the Wheel of Time um, series. I've never read the books. Total newbie, and I'm going to get all the names wrong. Um, I'm going to say everything wrong. But just just the female element, the fact that you have these super powerful female beings, what are they called? Remind me. Aes Sedai. The Aes Sedai. The fact that the Aes Sedai kind of um, are a, a main focal point of the show, that just hooked me right away. I was like, well, the, well, this is cool. These female, I don't know if you want to call them magicians, but they're very powerful uh, beings that p- can harness energies or things like that. Um, I just thought that was really cool and, and, and unique in fantasy. Again, still unique in fantasy. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a really gripping series and there was such a cliffhanger at the very end. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they can actually defeat this dark lord i don't re- see i don't remember any of the names but <laughs> the dark lord's name is the dark one so i think i think we'll give you that one it was close enough okay the dark one yeah um but just also the cast was incredible like uh, all the acting i thought was really really a plus and it they walked that fine line of not being too cheesy or over the top and the main the main gal in particular um wrote what's her name rosamund pike yeah rosamund pike thank you um, she's a, she's just a compelling lead. She's beautiful, talented. She's the whole nine. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching season two and listening to you guys so I can hopefully get names right next time. <laughs> Constance. Yeah. I, like I had mentioned earlier, I, I had read the books at a very, you know, many, many years ago and I was very excited to see it translated into the, the literal media in, you know, the physical world because of the same reasons that everyone else is mentioning. It's, it's such a beautiful detailed world. It's so, there's so much world building going on. There's so much that we don't know about this world and this turn of the wheel that it's exciting to see where they're going to go. Cause it, you know, like you said, there's some things that, that you're not this new material stuff that we're not aware of or stuff that we may not have previously realized with what they're doing. And some of the portrayals are so good. Like the children of the light are so, so beautifully evil. I love it. The, the thing that really bothers me about the Children of the Light is they gave them really great looking outfits and, and some of them are kind of sexy and it's, it's, I don't want sexy Children of the Light. That's just not right. Yeah, they look too good. They're, they're, they're too pretty, uh, too clean. But uh, the Aes Sedai just look so incredible. The one thing I'm disappointed is the Seven Stripe Stole. They didn't, they didn't get that right. But, you know, that's, that's just like the little pendant in me going, there's these details that they got right and then there's these details that they missed and so it's it's the same for any fandom right but i'm i'm excited about where they're going to go and some of the characters they're going to introduce that we know and love from the books and where it's all going so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to season two the thing that's really been interesting for me and why i'm really again looking forward to season two and why i'm enjoying being on this panel is uh it, very few storylines do i not have some cursory knowledge of and going into this series, I actually had zero knowledge of the world of Wheel of Time. And when I saw Lord of the Rings, I had read it growing up. When I saw Game of Thrones, I have I still haven't read a book, but I have so many friends that have talked about it and all of this that I knew the basic gist. I went in kind of with some knowledge of where we were going. Wheel of Time has been a pure start for me and seeing a different take on magic a different take on a social structure, a different take on how the world works. Like it, it was beautiful. And I'm really looking forward to uh, when I first experienced um, uh, Jurassic Park 
I saw the movie and then read the book. And so many people I knew had read the book and hated the movie because the movie couldn't be what the book was. And it, it, their imagination was able to flush it up. And I think somebody else already mentioned the fact that, you know, our imaginations don't have a much higher budget than any studio. Um, and so, so reading the book afterwards was gave me the ability to enjoy the series, enjoy the movie, and then enjoy the books. And I'm really looking forward to enjoying the books after this to see where those changes are, even though it's a different direction than people like Ruark. So you'll enjoy go. reading those sometime in like 2030 something. <laughs> I was going to say no, in about 10 said, years. We're not holding <laughs> off the whole time. We're holding off until you tell us that enough is in that we can then read those books. At least the I'm first just book. concerned you're not going to be able to stop. <laughs> That is between me and my my uh, reading lamp. Okay, <laughs> just leave leave us to be. Uh, Solar, uh, uh, you have to take off pretty soon, so I want to give you a last word. Anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, well, actually, yeah, honestly, um, joining this podcasting network has been amazing. Like for any listeners out there right now, um, honestly, listen to all of them. Okay, uh, Wheel of Time, Watch Party of Ice and Fire, the Lord of the Rings podcast. Specifically, um, we're not just a bunch of pedantic people who are saying, look at how smart we are. You know, <laughs> our entire purpose is to let our joy of all of these properties become as contagious to you guys as it was to us when somebody threw a book in our face and said, read this, or someone threw a game in front of us and said, play this and then read the books. You guys will love all of this stuff. And um, quite seriously, like, I know we're in the 21st century and podcasts are the major ways that people get exposed to a whole lot of stuff. And as much as we hate spoilers, we do like to know that there is a gist and there's something worth investing our precious, precious time into with all of the streaming services that we pay for. Not that it's less than cable, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, seriously, like this has been such a blast, um, especially being here with the panel from all the different shows. Like you guys are amazing. Um, and yeah, like tune in to our podcast, um, a watch party of ice and fire tune in to, a watch party for Wheel of Time, and of course the watch party for Lord of the Rings. Because honestly, it's like hanging out with people who are just in the room with you and being friends with you instead of this week on the news report. You know, we try and keep all the shows very relatable so that we can at least have the sense of a parasocial relationship, <laughs> you know, <laughs> question mark. So, yeah, and I want to thank you for having me on today. I want to thank everybody for being here. And I think that that's actually a great point for us to just uh, head out of this episode on. Um, thank you all so much for coming and joining us. Um, I'm going to do our usual wrap up and say thank you so much to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thanks, Michael and Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Michael and Jen. Our absolute pleasure. You all are fantastic. I'm honored that each and every one of you show up and, and give it your all. So thank you. And yeah, thank all the listeners. And also thank you to uh, our members from a watch party of Ice and Fire who are with us today. That's Solar, Constance, and Morgan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you thank for having you. us. And of course, to the yep. panel of newbies, I love you all to death. Thanks for joining us. We love you too, Rourke. Right back at you. Love you too. And final question for everybody on the panel. You get to start your own new Watch Party podcast. What is your podcast about? Ooh, Sandman. 
Star Wars. Y'all know I'm saying Star Trek on this one. If it ever gets made, the Elric uh, Eternal Champion TV series that was posited before the pandemic, um, and if not, Doctor Who. Um, I am actually already already like preparing, and the wheels are turning for a watch party Jane Austen <laughs> film adaptations. <laughs> so we're gonna take it. <laughs> We're going to take it a totally different route, but I have some some serious Jane Austen fans in my life who have a lot to say, <laughs> and I'm one of them. Oh, I'm going to listen to that one. That sounds like a hoot. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. I have my hands a little too full just at this moment, but it could happen. Uh, sign me up for either the Star Wars or the Sandman. Those are both two very uh, fascinating genres for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with either of you. Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Sandman, yes, but I really want Watch Party Xanth. Now, that series needs to be made first, and I'm very happy to play the evil magician Trent if any casting agents are listening. And oh, then God. I'll happily also be on the podcast to talk about it without ruining anything for anybody. But yeah, Xanth. Here's Anthony. Uh, that's, that's, that's old school. Yeah, following up with um, DW, um, if it gets, if it ever gets made and it gets its second breath, uh, the Dresden Files, oh, if yeah. that gets a prestige show, um, along with um, the Night Angel, if that gets a show, and with the shows that are coming out, yeah, sign me up for Sandman, um, sign me up for Discovery Season um, 50. Season 2. Season 50. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Season 50, and definitely sign me up for Strange New Worlds. I, I'm, I like all in. Great show. Ooh, Stranger Things too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if any of those podcasts do become a reality, you can find them right here on the Watch Party Podcasting Network. <laughs> <laughs>